Welcome to the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name's Rachel Carew. Join me as I share a weekly dose of midlife inspiration, where you get to hear from amazing women who are embracing life and leaving a trail of inspiration along the way. Breaking down the midlife stereotypical barriers and proving it's never too late to find new passion and purpose. And to step out of your bubble. So what's stopping you? Welcome back to a new week on the Out of the Bubble podcast. My name is Rachel Peru, and I hope you're all having a fabulous summer. And especially if you're in the UK, we're enjoying some gorgeous sunshine for a change and this lovely warm weather. So if you're not managing to go abroad, I hope you're making the most of it when you can. This week's lady is somebody that I have had the pleasure of talking to on the podcast before. She's no stranger to championing midlife women in all the work that she does. It's time to reconnect with Rachel Lancaster. Rachel has so many different strings to her bow. She is the head of the founder of Magnificent Midlife, an online hub which inspires women in midlife and beyond. She's also the leader of the Mutton Club, which is an online magazine celebrating and informing women over 40. She runs the podcast, Midlife Magnificent Midlife Podcast, which celebrates, champions and empowers women in midlife and beyond, sharing stories just like I do. And she has now got author to add to her list, a book that I have really just binge read and will be reading again and cannot recommend enough. And we will be talking lots this morning with Rachel about the, the book, um, the, the Magnificent Midlife, Transform Your Middle Years, Menopause and Beyond. And I really, really enjoyed it. So we've got lots to catch up on. And what I'm really looking forward to is I interviewed um, Rachel three years ago on the podcast. I've been watching her progress when she first started and she was talking about finding her voice. She definitely has found her voice now and is using it to lift and empower other women up. So grab a coffee and enjoy. So welcome back, Rachel. Long time no see. I know. You were just telling me it was, it's nearly three years, isn't it? Oh it is, God. yeah. It was episode 20, October 2019, and a lot's happened since then. We've got a lot to catch up on. We have, we have. Well, you were a very early guest on my podcast, and I think I was quite an early guest on yours as well, wasn't You I? were, yeah. And I've loved watching your journey, and we have got so much to talk about this morning. Before we really get started into the nitty-gritty, I asked my guests the same question what three words would you just use to describe yourself and why? Well, I'm going to cheat. Right? Yeah. And I'm going to cheat because the three words I might use tomorrow might be completely different to the three words I want to use today. But I was thinking about this earlier. And uh, there's one word that will always work, and that's curious, um, because I always want to be curious about everything. And I, yeah, I just want to understand why. Yeah. And then um, for today only, we've got tenacious. Sometimes I can always be tenacious, but tenacious, particularly because I'm sort of I'm battling away and I'm beavering away and I'm keeping on going, even though what I think and say isn't always very popular. Mm. Um, I'm trying to be tenacious about yes. keeping on going. And then uh, I've got two alternatives. My third one, I'm really cheating here. I'm not <laughs> passionate because I do think I'm really passionate, but I'm also divergent. And oh, yes. divergent, particularly today, because I like to take the diverging view. I like to be the person that says, well, hang on a minute. That doesn't sound quite right to me. Yeah. So I'm going with curious, tenacious and divergent. 
love those words. I love asking guests those words, fact to fact, because it just gives you a real insight into, like you say, where you are at right now, because it might be completely different tomorrow. But thank you for sharing that. So for anybody that might not have listened to our first chat, um, let's just kind of catch up so that people know exactly what you stand for, who you are and what you're doing, because you have lots of strings to your hat um, under the magnificent midlife umbrella. So where do you start? Oh, goodness me, I don't know, really. Well, originally, I I had the Mutton Club magazine, which I still have, and which actually continues to go from strength to strength. And it was all about challenging this narrative of, you know, mutton dressed as lamb and women getting to a certain age and being mutton. And I wanted to change all that. But mutton didn't didn't work very well because women kind of went, oh, I don't like the word mutton. So eventually it morphed into Magnificent Midlife. So Mutton Club still exists. Um, uh, now it's Magnificent Midlife. And that is, it's a book, it's a podcast, it's an online community, it's a membership, it's one-to-one and group midlife mentoring. I have a program now called Revitalize, which is so much fun, which is a six-week intensive mentoring program that I do with midlife women who want to be revitalized who are fed up with kind of feeling a bit <laughs> and that life is a bit <laughs> yeah. and would like to find a bit more spark back so uh, so I do that and um, I'm having a blast I love it I absolutely love it I know you love what you do and I love what I do and I may have made more money in another life but you know I'm much happier doing what I do now so yeah. And everything that you do is all around empowering women and offering resources and information for them to take that next kind of chapter um, in their stride. But how did, for those that don't know your backstory, how did this kind of inspiration start for you? Well, I was given a, a diagnosis of early menopause at 41. And at the time I found out because I had a hormone test because I was trying for another child. And I'd always wanted another child. I had one. Um, and ever since he was born, I wanted another one. <laughs> and it wasn't to be. And in fact, I think I talk about my book being my baby now. And it feels a little bit like that because I have birthed a book, which is very exciting. Um, but it was this diagnosis that really, it's such a cliche, isn't it, to go on a journey. But I really did go on a journey yeah. because my initial reaction to that diagnosis was made so much worse because I had bought into all the negative narratives about menopause being the end of meaningful life that you know I was now a shriveled up, shriveled up old prune. no one had ever told me that mm. but that was the message I had picked up through life you know with the advertising and everything else I had learned that I was no longer of as much value as I had been before. I didn't know who I was as a newly infertile woman. What was my role? What was I supposed to do or be? And so I, you know, being curious, <laughs> I went digging and being tenacious, I kept on digging and being divergent. <laughs> you know, I like, I came up with new narratives. They're very good three words, actually, for me. They are. <laughs> I came up with completely new narratives that worked for me. And then I've spent the rest of the time trying to get everybody else to buy into my narratives because I'm stubborn as a mule as well. And um, 
I don't like these, you know, we're washed up, we have no value, this focus on youth. I know you don't die that. And right. you know, we have to be the perfect body shape, we have to look the perfect way, et cetera, et cetera. And I just got really fed up with it. And um, so I've spent my time trying to change those that's it and it's it's you found your voice haven't you when you were using it to really challenge people's narratives and like you said it's it's kind of ingrained in us from generation to generation is it mm. subliminal messages from society from media from advertising do you think since the time you started this to now you are seeing a change gradually or do you still think that this is just kind of a bit of tokenism when we've still got such a long way to go I think it's a mixture of the two I think we've seen a lot of change, but I think there's a lot of tokenism yeah. and ticking of boxes. And we have a hell of a long way to go. Yeah. Because yeah. while we're talking a lot more about midlife and menopause, especially in my view, we're saying the wrong things. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And, I, and it's interesting how when we last talked in 2019, you spent a lot of time talking about finding your voice and finding what brings you passion and, and what kind of drives you. And I've noticed that you recently have really started to, to use your voice and share that. And I love that about you. You know, the, the recent article in the iNews um, that was yes. really challenging the way that the menopause is being portrayed as this kind of lost cause and it's all doom and gloom. And, and I'm with you. It's, it, I don't want the midlife, the, the menopause to define me. No, I don't want women to be defined by our hormones. Yeah. Because that, that just plays into the patriarchy, I think. I really do. It just keeps us in place. And yeah, I got, well, I don't know how far you want me to get onto my hobby horse, my soapbox. Well, yeah, no, go for it. No, go for it. I mean, yeah. So for anybody that hasn't read the article, what, what was the kind of, how can you summarize it? Well, the, the, the headline they chose wasn't brilliant. You know, that I want women to have menopause parties. And of course, people saw that and said, oh, you're undermining our experience of menopause and how terrible it can be. And I am in no way doing that. You know, I myself was given an early menopause diagnosis in 81. It was bloody hard. Mm. And I am not anti-HRT. I went on HRT from about, I think it was 44, 45 to about, it was average menopause age of 51, because I'd always decided that I wanted to come off it when I reached normal menopause age. So what I have done is I've changed my life. I've changed how I live. I've changed my lifestyle. I've changed how I manage stress. I've changed what I eat. I've changed what I drink. I do lots more exercise now than I ever did. I've started meditating. I do journaling. All of these tools and, and ways of living, and particularly mindset, um, have enabled me to not need any HRT since I was 51. I really didn't feel I needed it then. I'd kind of gone on it before because the, the narrative was to protect my bones and heart. So I did that, but then I made the decision to come off. So I get really frustrated by this whole deficiency narrative that we now have, that menopause is an estrogen deficiency. Because I am now 56, you know, I'm a postmenopausal woman. I am not taking any synthetic estrogens. I have lots of phytoestrogens from plant products in my diet. Mm. I do not feel deficient. And I think that some of these narratives that we're putting out there, you know, don't help the cause of older women. And it isn't until we're postmenopause that we actually think about that because 
I don't want to be defined by my hormones. I don't want people to think that I'm deficient because I don't have estrogen inside me or as much estrogen because the body continues to make estrogen. I'm not deficient. So I'm not anti people having the HRT if they feel they need it. But I also want women to look at the underlying issues because I think there is a tendency in modern life, there's a cost to modern life. Mm. I absolutely believe there is a cost to modern life. And if you look at other cultures and even you know, other groups of people within other cultures, people have a very different response to menopause and getting older. It's particularly bad in what I call Anglo societies, which I've talked about in my book, which is yeah. the societies that come from Protestantism, actually, because it was the, the work ethic um, and that if you couldn't work, you didn't have value. So, you know, as you got older, you didn't work. And as a woman, you didn't work, you know. So double whammy, yeah. you know, no wonder, you know, we are seen to lose value as we get older and as we go through menopause. What is our role as yeah. an infertile woman? Oh, yeah. It's, so, I, and it's, it's interesting because I'm on HRT and I, and I do know right now, for me, it's working. But I equally know that I've been in much under much more stress recently. My mum's not well, so I've suddenly become carer role. And so I am now looking at my lifestyle because, you know, the caffeine's gone. I'm trying to get more exercise in. It is a balancing act, isn't it? And we've got to talk more about the other things that we can do to help ourselves to take control of that, haven't we? That's what I want. I think there is, there's too much of a depend. The narrative that's going out there is HRT or bust. <laughs> and now with the deficiency narrative, there are practitioners out there who are saying to women, if you don't take HRT, you are at greater risk of Alzheimer's, heart disease, um, osteoporosis, depression, early death. I mean, let's just, just to pile it on. Yeah. I mean, why, why would you want to live past menopause anyway? Yeah. You're just instantly going to get all these things. And there are women who have had breast cancer, who cannot take HRT, and they're going, well, what about me? Mm. Am I going to get Alzheimer's, heart disease, osteoporosis, depression, yeah. early death? You know, it's it's just wrong. And that's, yeah. that's why I'm really, today, I'm very, I'm very frustrated about it because we're saying, we're talking about it much more, but I really believe we've got the messaging wrong. Um, and all of those diseases I talked about, those are diseases related to age. They are not caused by menopause. Mm -hmm. And I, I take my inspiration from, from two things. One's the whales. I'm always talking about the whales. Well, I was going to ask you about the whales because I loved that story last time. I know, so, yes, I know that's, that's all my notes, whales. <laughs> I know it's genetically different. So it's a bit like comparing apples and pears, but, you know. The whales go through menopause. There's no HRT for the whales. And they become the leaders of their pods. Mm. You know, the young male, younger male whales die off. But the woman, the female, she goes ahead and she leads her pod often up for, to 50 years. Yeah. You know, so I really think that older women post-menopause, we are of more value to our communities, our societies as leaders than as breeders. So it seems to me, it seems to me there's, a, there's, a, there's a gap there that we don't hear many stories of post-menopause. So we hear lots about perimenopause and we hear lots of women in the menopause, but I'd love to hear 
more stories from women that have been through it and are now thriving at the other side of it. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm always talking about this is this is a tunnel, not a cave. Yeah. You know, it may be difficult, but it's a transition. Puberty wasn't easy. Mm-hmm. Pregnancy and childbirth isn't easy for most people. Yeah. But the overarching narrative for both puberty and for childbirth is positive. Whereas the overarching narrative for menopause is negative. It's negative when you're in it and it's just negative. You know, Mm. it's just something negative. And I don't see it like that anymore. Mm. I did, but I don't anymore. I see it as a time when we can really transform into who we were always supposed to be and and that I find so exciting and that's what I want to get across I really as I say in the book I want to rebrand menopause I want us to see it more as the second spring which is what the Chinese describe it as you know I see this as an amazing transformation I'm completely different now than I was 15 years ago when I went through or had the diagnosis of early menopause I'm very different but I'm no less I'm more. I think I'm more. <laughs> yeah, I love that. I, I would say that. <laughs> I love that more. Yes, definitely. But how did you, what's the process though? Because it's easy to talk about changing the narrative, but when you're in the middle of it and when you are bombarded by media and advertising that's telling us that it's all doom and gloom and we you know, how do we get out of this? It's hard to think there's another way to think about it. So what steps would you advise women to take to, to try and kickstart that shift in mindset? Well, I, I would really take inspiration from other examples. The, the other place I was going to just talk about was the blue zone. So the blue zones are these areas of the world where people have very high longevity and a healthy older age. And women especially, they're living into their hundreds. Well, guess what? They don't have HRT for that. And they have a mindset that celebrates them as older women. Otherwise, they wouldn't live that long because there is research that demonstrates how we feel about aging will impact how we age. How we feel about menopause will impact our experience of menopause. The woman who introduced me to the whales, Darcy Stanky, who wrote Flash Count Diary and who actually paddled out in a kayak and met Granny the whale. That she'd been tracking on the internet for quite some time. And she credits that encounter with not just transforming how she felt about herself as an older woman and going through menopause, but actually impacted her physical symptoms as well. You know, it actually, you know, the physical wellness was impacted by that experience. So it's really hard. I mean, I would say go and get my book. Yes. (laughs) It's a good place to start. It is. Um, and actually in there, I do set out, you know, that the, there are pages where I ask people questions. So I'm challenging their beliefs. I'm challenging their internal narrative. I'm asking them to find new narratives and to explore different ways of thinking and then actually putting in place a plan that can take them forward into a new dimension, (laughs) (laughs) take them forward into a magnificent midlife and beyond. Because as I say, I'm not about making this mediocre. It's not mediocre midlife and beyond. It's magnificent because we are magnificent. We can be magnificent. And if we just believe we can be, I really genuinely believe we can be. And then we'll change the world. And the world sure as heck needs changing because it's a mess. 
Yeah. It needs far more older, well, it needs far more female energy in it. It needs far more older female energy in it. So I'm trying to inspire women to believe that they can step forward and go out of that bubble instead of sitting in their bubble because yeah. it feels nice and comfortable. It's okay, not brilliant, but it's all right. You know, why, why shake the tree if everything's working kind of okay? But Yeah. So how challenging was writing the book then? Was that you stepping out of your bubble? Oh, yes, totally. Oh, my goodness. Writing a book is so scary. I thought doing a podcast was scary. I thought blogging was scary. I <laughs> thought doing lives on Facebook was scary. <laughs> because writing a book, well, for me, it was my heart and soul. It was my heart and soul written on the page. And you've only got to have somebody saying, well, this is a load of rubbish. Nobody has, thank goodness, yet. Um, for then, you you really are putting everything of yourself out there, especially if it's a personal. Mine is a personal book. It's not fiction. I think it's you can hide behind fiction. You know, yes. say, oh, it's made up. You know. yeah. But this this is, it's not a lot of memoir, but there is a bit of memoir in it at the beginning, and I'm very much writing from my personal experience and my personal passion. So, yeah, it's like, okay. This is about as vulnerable as I can be. <laughs> and have you grown through that process? What did you find out about yourself going through it? I'm guessing that you were even more tenacious than you first thought you were. <laughs> yeah, I was telling you before we hit record that actually it took me a long time to write the book. Um, and it probably should have taken me about a year. Well, it took me two years. Mm. And the reason why it took me two years is one, because COVID happened. And two, because I got depressed. Mm. Um, and I didn't want to write. I couldn't write. I'd had no impetus to write. Yeah. Um, and then I did what I have learned to do when I need help. I ask for help. And I went back into therapy. And my therapist, bless her, she helped me get back over the finish line and get the book done. Yeah. Um, and that was amazing. So, so yes, I, I definitely went on a <laughs> journey of discovery while I was writing it. And it's hard. It's hard. You've got to be tenacious. You've got to be, just keep on going, keep pushing through. And, but I knew I had so much to say and the world wasn't hearing me. Yeah. I wanted to be heard. Yeah. <laughs> so I had to write the book. I had to write it. I had to say, I had to say, this is my alternative narrative. You know, it's not an alternative universe, but it might as well be. But yeah. it's my alternative narrative. And then what I love about it, and there's lots of things. I mean, I've, I've read it, I binge watched it one, I've read it one afternoon, and I will read it again. And I made loads of notes because I, I like the way that you do challenge people's narratives, and it makes people think about where you pick those up from in society, and and it makes you see clearer. But also, it does challenge you to think differently, and I think. We're not very good at that in general, at being challenged and sitting down and thinking, okay, well, what else could I think? How, how can I think differently? And I think it's really practical help as well as very informative. It was the practicality of it that I really liked. So I, I'm a big fan of the book. I think it's brilliant and I would definitely recommend it. So well done. But it's interesting you said about asking for help. Is that something that you've always been good at or are you better at asking for help now the older you've got, do you think? I don't think I asked for help until I was in my early 30s. Mm. And then my relationship was in real trouble and I needed help. And I was in another country 
And so I didn't have much support network. And that was the first time that I really went into therapy. Um, I think everybody should have therapy, whether yes, they I think do. they've got problems or not. Yeah. Because it's a process of understanding yourself. And if you're curious like me, you know, I want to know why I do things. Why do I react in certain ways? Why, why did I respond to my early menopause diagnosis in the way that I did? Yeah. Um, why, well, as soon as I come off HRC, although this is a, a physical thing, not an emotional thing, why did I have a hot flush as soon as I had some alcohol or, or, or chocolate? Mm-hmm. You know, that, those were the triggers for me. But that is a physical thing, not an emotional thing. But yeah, so I'm, yeah, I think I think I get better at asking for help. I'm not frightened of asking for help. And I'm also, I probably wouldn't have talked about it like this when I was yeah. young. But I'm not at all embarrassed now to talk about it because I think it's so important. And I think it helps other people know that, you know, when you know. need help, you have to get help. Yeah, yeah. And you, obviously, you've started mentoring as well. So you, you're helping lots of women in so many different ways. But is there kind of some elements that these women all have in common? What do they come? What are the kind of key things that women are really struggling with, do you think, in midlife? Not just, obviously, the physical symptoms of menopause, but the mental I think blocks. it's probably imposter syndrome. And imposter yeah. syndrome is, it peaks around menopause. Surprise, surprise. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I think it's, it's there's a lack of acknowledgement about what we are each capable of and so we do build a small bubble and we stay in that small bubble and yet actually if we expand out if we are helped to expand out and that's what I'm trying to do is open people's worlds open their eyes make them curious then there's so much that women can do. We are so much more powerful than we yeah. think we are. Honestly, you know, we are those whales leading our pods. Yeah. And, and that's what we do. Um, but I, I'm always talking about how estrogen, I see estrogen as biddable hormone. It's the one that makes us behave. <laughs> it's the one that keeps <laughs> us compliant and nurturing everybody else. Well, guess what? You know, post-menopause, if you, you know, you don't, have as much of it going through your veins so you're more able to put yourself first you're more able to you know think about things that don't necessarily focus on you know on nurturing the family I think there's a Mm. there's an evolutionary reason why the empty nest coincides with menopause you know because we're actually we're in maybe in a better place to be able to make the very most of it it's really interesting actually. That before, actually no that's really interesting <laughs> because I've just my 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 youngest is a second year at uni so we've kind of practically got that emptiness now but also I've started being more vocal about things that I want in life and things that maybe I haven't been happy with with with, with around the, the whole family kind of scenario that I would never have said before whereas now I think well if I don't say it now when am I going to why am I holding all this in and I feel so much better for it and I've stopped worrying about other people's opinions and maybe maybe that's not a good thing or a bad thing I don't know it's a brilliant thing believe me but it's different for me is that I have noticed I am much more vocal about things that that I've probably kept in for a long time and it's freeing actually yeah that's really interesting about the emptiness and that that kind of 
coalition with this. It's quite an exciting time. I, I mean, I, I went through the, the empty nest at first as a like, grieving process almost because you're thinking, okay, that's that all that lifetime of being there, kind of that role as a mother changes and you've just got to adapt to it. And now I'm loving it. I love it. I love the freedom to get on and do what I want to do without that that responsibility. The responsibility is still there, but it's very different, isn't it? And I think it is. It's a mindset, isn't it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. It is totally about mindset. And I think that's one thing I have learned is that you can anything that you think and believe, you can turn it around. You can decide what you think and believe about something. And our neural pathways will change over time. We can teach our brains to do different things. There's a brilliant book actually by Luanne, Dr. Luanne Brizendine. who has yes. been on my podcast and uh, it's called The Upgrade. And she talks about how the female brain gets better and stronger post-menopause. You know, I mean, all we read about is brain fog and people think it's early onset Alzheimer's. Well, that may happen during menopause, but hopefully when you're through it, things will settle down. But you have got to take better care of yourself and work on your stress because I think that's the that's when I talked about you know there's a cost to modern life people have very stressful lives mm. and you know when Michelle Obama was talking about having been on Air Force One and, and needing her HRT I thought good on you woman you've probably got the most stressful life on the planet yes. you take your HRT fine yeah. but even she there will come a time when she will need to address that and okay she's her husband's no longer the president so maybe things are better but I imagine she's probably still got a pretty stressful life yeah. and I think there comes a time when we we do need to stop and to think and to listen to our bodies that's what I've learned to do is to listen to my body I don't yeah. ignore it anymore if it gives me an ache I think okay what's going on yeah and I don't attribute everything to age I nothing do I attribute to age actually um, because there's often something else going on as well. Yeah. No, I, 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 at the moment, I've um, got bad back, and it is because I'm, I'm quite stressed at the moment, and I'm, I'm in a situation that I can't, I'm kind of stuck in, I feel stuck in, but it, that's my weakness, and it's gone to my back, and so now it's okay, I've got to stop and listen to my body and get out walking and do things that I need to do just to keep mm. myself ticking over and not, and normally I would have just pushed that aside and just carried on, and it would have got worse. Whereas I think if you can connect to your body, you can learn so much, can't you? Yeah. What do you wish you'd, looking back now at the beginning of this journey, what do you wish you'd been told much sooner? Oh, my goodness. I wish I'd been told, you know, that menopause was this really fantastic opportunity <laughs> waiting mm -hmm. for me. And then I might struggle a bit, but, you know, it would be fine in the end. And I wish I'd known about perimenopause. I wish I'd known that it could start so much earlier than we think. Um, but I also wish, you know, that I'd known that what was coming on further down the line, you know, was was really good, really yeah. good. Keep sharing that because I want to hear lots more about. I want I want to hear lots more from postmenopausal women to 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 know that there's a this a, there's an end to this and it's not just all doom and gloom and we can thrive and and grow and continue to do so. So what's next for you now, Rachel? Obviously, you've got the book out. I think you're writing another one. What's, what's your kind of ambitions and goals? The second one's kind of, it's kind of on hold at the moment. It's there, it's still, it's yeah. still there, but it's kind of on hold. What am I going to do next? I don't know. I, 
I recorded a solo podcast at the weekend, not having done one for ages. And I was saying, you know, I thought by now, 15 years, I'd have got out of menopause by now. You know, I'd be talking about ageing and yeah. ageism more. But I keep feeling myself getting sucked back because there's a lot of stuff that I don't agree with and don't like about the current talk about menopause. So I think I'm probably just going to keep plugging on Plugging, plugging. No, plugging is picking up litter and jogging, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> plodding, plodding on. That's what I want to do. Um, plodding on, um, trying to redress the balance and trying to get people to realise actually the connection with gendered ageism. Because, you know, people, I've seen a research report done by an organisation that said, you know, menopause, there's all these women saying it makes them feel invisible. I'm sorry, it's not menopause that's making you feel invisible. It's gendered ageism. Yeah. And it's also internalised gendered ageism because you've bought into that. So yeah. I think I want to try and make people aware of this connection. I want people to understand that in other cultures where women, you know, get more status the older they get, there is a correlation that they have a better menopause experience. You know, I know correlation yeah. doesn't equal causation. but it's interesting. Yeah. I'm curious. Why is that the case? You know? Why Why is it, do you think? Why do you think the UK um, are kind of quite behind in, in that thought process compared to China, Asia, um, you know, that, yeah, they, that have so, seem to have so much more respect for, for older people and older women in particular? They're following us now. It's right. changing. They're, they're taking oh, really? the lead from us, which is another thing I want to stop. Um, I think a lot of it is money. Mm. I mean, I don't have the figures here, but in my book, I talk about how the anti-aging market is, you know, the size of a small country, yeah. <laughs> GDP. Yeah. Um, you know, there's also, uh, I will try and find this figure for you, but talking about, I think it was $600 billion market opportunity for menopause. Yeah. So, so the more... The more people can be persuaded that menopause is bad and that aging is something to hide, deny or fix, then the more money they make. Mm -hmm. And that, that I do think is why. And our marketing industries have cottoned on to that yeah. perhaps faster than other places because other places had a traditional respect for older people that we never had in the first place. Yeah, and I think that's something that we've all got to be quite aware of, actually, because the products that some a lot of these menopause brands are now bringing out are things that have been available for years and years and I years know. anyway. And they're just repackaged and relabeled to make money. Yeah. It's all about the money. Yeah. All about money. So it's about being consciously aware of things, isn't it? Well, thank you for doing all the work that you're doing. I, I, you know, I'm a big fan um, of your podcast, of the book, um, which I will share links to. How can people find out about you, Rachel? What's your website? Magnificentmidlife.com. That's where I am. Um, there's also themuttonclub.com. If you fancy a good read, there's some excellent articles on there. Um, and I'm Magnificent Midlife on all the socials. And the book is Magnificent Midlife. <laughs> nice and easy <laughs> to remember. Middle years, menopause and beyond. So it, it's easy, does, yeah, does what it says on the tin and is consistent. I've got that right, at least. 
And have you surprised yourself along this way, on this kind of journey that you're on? Have you surprised yourself? What, what have you surprised yourself the most with? I never thought I'd be prattling on about menopause all the time. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, I never in my wildest dreams could have imagined that. Well, keep doing it. <laughs> keep banging that drum for us all. <laughs> because we need it and we need to challenge. We need to challenge the industry. We need to challenge our thought process. And we need women to stand up and, and make those challenges. And, we, you know, it's better to be part of the conversation than sit and watch, isn't it? I think so. And what I really don't want is that the negative experience of menopause of one person or a few people or quite a few people doesn't automatically become the blueprint for all of us mm. because it shouldn't be like that we each are different we each have a different experience of menopause of midlife of getting older we're all unique yeah well thank you so much my last question Rachel that I ask all my guests if you were to pay yourself a compliment what would it be she didn't give up yes fabulous thank you so much I'm so glad that we've reconnected and I shall look forward to watching this journey continue because um, you're doing great work so keep it up and I'll share all your links thank you it's been lovely to catch up thank you take care well a really thought-provoking chat with Rachel really enjoyed talking to her and I like the fact that she's challenging this narrative and we cannot deny the fact that there are some women, the menopause really is a very, very difficult time. I've had my own experiences of the menopause so far, and my anxiety has run riot, and I'm trying to learn to adapt to these changes that are going on in my body. And it can be a really difficult time. It's a roller coaster. But Rachel is right. A, there's lots that we can do to empower ourselves and to change our lifestyle to make sure that we are making the best of ourselves. And we can also you know, really start looking at all the positive things that are going on this time in life. How, what do we want? How do we want to show up in this next chapter? And in the book, she does share a really great quote from Jermaine Greer. The menopausal woman is a prisoner of a stereotype and will not be rescued from it until she begins to tell her own story. And as you know, on the podcast, I am a great believer that we've all got our own stories to tell, which is what I am all about sharing them. So I want to hear more stories from post-menopausal women, I want to hear those positive stories of what's to come afterwards, because they're the stories that I feel as a woman go to her menopause herself, we don't hear enough about what comes next, what comes afterwards. We don't just fall off a cliff. So thank you so much, Rachel, for joining me and sharing her thoughts on how we can change and challenge our own narrative. I will be back next week. Um, if you are wanting some more inspiration, then please come and join our free Facebook group. It's called Step Out of the Bubble. And it's a place where you can come connect with other women, like-minded women that are going through all different stages of their journey, all embracing life, all trying new things, learning from one another. And it's just a really great place to come and meet new people. It's a safe space and I love being part of it. So come over to the Step Out of the Bubble group and you can also find me on rachelperu.co.uk. And drop me an email if you're enjoying these and if you know somebody that you think would be an amazing guest for the show, then get in touch at rachelperu1 at gmail.com. So I will be back in a fortnight, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous. Thank you for listening to the Out of the Bubble podcast. I hope it's left you feeling inspired. If it has, why not come and join a fabulous group of women in my free Step Out of the Bubble Facebook group. 
where you can get to connect with other women all at different stages of their own midlife journey, supporting and inspiring one another. You can also come and say hello on Instagram at rachelguru1. I'd love to know how you intend or how you are already stepping out of your bubble in 2022. If you're loving the podcast, please don't forget to subscribe, rate and review. Your support is much appreciated. I'll be back next week with some more inspiration, but in the meantime, keep being fabulous.